Welcome to the Adventures in the Sky podcast, sharing inspiring stories to empower you to be dreamers and doers. For the sky's the limit. Proudly presented by Flying Phillies, an uplifting historical adventure book inspired by the women Air Force service pilots, WASP of World War II. As America's female aviation pioneers, the WASP are the original power girls. Hi, I'm Christy Hui, author of Flying Phillies. In every episode, you'll hear stories from the WASP, kin of WASP, women aviator pioneers sharing their secrets to success. Their trials and tribulations pave their inner journey to becoming trailblazers. Welcome to our podcast, everyone. I have the pleasure of speaking with Lisa Taylor, Executive Director of the National Wasp World War II Museum. Lisa, would you do me the honor of introducing yourself to our audience? Well, hi, Christy. As you said, I'm Lisa Taylor with the uh, Wasp World War II Museum. Uh, I've been the executive director here almost five years um, that I've been in this role. And uh, it's been a wonderful time um, getting to know more Wasp families and being part of preserving their history and promoting their legacy and protecting the airfield on which they served. That's wonderful. Now, um, I also realized that perhaps lately you have expanded on your mission statement. What, do you care to talk about that? Yes. You know, the expansion was really promoting the legacy. You know, the museum's been here for 20 years and uh, the WASP, ha- you know, are the foundation and they always will be. And, and you know, when you come visit the museum, it really is, you know, three fourths about them. But the expansion has come into legacy pilots, right? Because we know that the WASP broke that glass ceiling. They uh, paved the way for other women to come and fly uh, in the military. And um, so we're connecting the dots to our modern pilots. And we feel like that's really important, you know, because uh, the WASP were, they were real mentors to that next generation of women that flew. Um, they actually started a, an organization called Women Military Aviators. And um, they reached out to that second generation and said, come be part of this group and let us mentor you. We we can help you because we've been through the same thing. And so it made sense that we would just connect those dots to generations of today um, so that we have tangible women that um, our audiences can relate with. Well, that's a wonderful mission because I met you at the homecoming event, the fly-in event in April. And what a fine job you and your team did and a great testimony of your mission. Tell me how much effort does it take to organize an event like that? Months. (laughs) It really does because it's several events wrapped up into one. you know, so we we have uh, an event that really honors the families of the WASP because as of 29, uh, I'm sorry, as of 2021, we have no more WASP coming. You know, this uh, this was started, you know, for them. They used to come back to Avenger Field. That's why we called it homecoming. 
And, you know, back, back in our heyday, we would have 30 wasp here. Uh, but, you know, they're all over 100 now, so they stay home. Uh, but their families come. So, you know, we have all these sub-events where we honor their families. And, of course, the museum is open for tours, and we bring in airplanes, and um, we have planes flying. We have symposiums that, you know, you got to be a speaker for us last year, which was so great. You were there among some other authors. And then we have a fundraising gala um, that, you know, helps us continue our expansion and our mission. So it's months of work. Yeah, I felt the energy there too. And just being with the, the kins of the wasp, you know, you feel their legacy and their spirits in that hangar. And it's just so, I have to say that that was my first time being at a homecoming event. It really touched me and it's a very moving experience. So you and your team are to be commended for preserving that history. You know, it's a, it's a marvelous job you did. Thank you. I just hope that a lot of people would be coming in the years to come. I hope so too. You know, it is a great time to to learn about them and, and learn about what they did. And then, you know, you also get to meet those younger pilots who are so excited about the wasp and, you know, they don't take that limelight on themselves. They just shine it back to the wasp. And so it's just a great, you know, it's emotional, but, but then it's also educational and fun. So yeah, I hope it would come. Why is it important to preserve the WASP legacy or history in general? It's just so important to understand where we came from because, you know, when we look back and see what the people before us have done, it informs our decisions about the future. Um, it gives us courage, maybe that we can move on and, and do things that we previously didn't think that we could do. And, you know, obviously it can serve as a cautionary tale, but it's, it's important to not lose sight of, of who we are. Well said. In your opinion, what are the biggest challenges you face as a executive director of the museum? I think it is um, getting people to stop and take a look at who the WASP were. I think, um, you know, we have some great opportunities, you know, to reach this youngest generation, but we just have to pivot. In the past, we've had a lot of World War II veterans that came and visited and they loved it because they had that connection. And so for us, it's it's presenting it in a way that that's meaningful to our younger generations, you know, because every generation has their own style of learning and expressing themselves. And uh, and we just have to to meet them where they're at. Right. It's our responsibility to put it in, in a language that they understand and show them how meaningful it could be. So I think it's just, it's driving that engagement to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So what have you offered in terms of educational tools, interactive features that the new generation is more responsive to? We do a lot more hands-on, uh, less talking, more showing. <laughs> That's really... Right. Uh, you know, what we have to do. And so, for instance, we were at an air show in Houston a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, in the past, we would have had our airplane flying in the show and we would have had an educational booth. But this time we chose not to fly and we, we had the plane static, which seems so counterintuitive. But what we did is we wrapped the educational exhibit around that plane and then we had about 400 people get up on the wing of the airplane and look in, in this World War II 
80-year-old aircraft. And, you know, all of a sudden, they're much more interested in the wasp and where this plane came from and what it did because they're standing there and they're looking inside of a cockpit that is completely foreign to their modern way of thinking. And then you grab their attention. You know, then you have it. So it's getting a lot more like that. You know, or when we have school kids come through the museum, you know, we tell them about the wasp, but we tell them, um, through holograms and video, and then we pull out activity stations and they get to rivet, they get to wire tie, practice some navigation and make sentences in Morse code. You know, so we, we want that engagement. Mm -hmm. Evoking their curiosity. Yes, right, right. And planes, right? Planes, who doesn't like planes? Kids love planes, right? Yeah, they do for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, and, you know, what's fun for us now is we have four airplanes in this hangar and they represent every level of training. And uh, so that's that's been a lot of fun, too, you know, for them to, you know, when we tell them, oh, they had to start in one plane and graduate to the next plane. Again, they're touching, they're feeling, they're looking. It's not just academic. Now, you recently acquired a new plane. Mm -hmm. Tell us the story a great story. You know, it's the AT-6, which that was uh, the advanced trainer for the men and women. If you were training in World War II, you wouldn't have graduated without proving you could fly that airplane. And it was the favorite among the men and women because it has so much horsepower, right? So, you know, think about it. Before they came into the WASP, I mean, the ladies were flying just these little lightweight airplanes for fun. So even a basic trainer was a lot more than they were used to handling. By the time they got to the AT-6, it was 600 you know, horsepower, zippy, very maneuverable. So the women loved it. So the way, you know, we weren't honestly even fundraising for a plane two years ago. I, I was working on new exhibits, you know, making more interactive exhibits like I've been talking about, you know, less wordy, more show and tell. And the son of a wasp called me and said, hey, I have a significant amount of money I'd like to give you, but only for a T6. And I don't care how long it takes you to get one, but I'm going to give you this money and you got to hang on to it until you can apply it toward a plane. And I said, oh man, this is great. And I of course thanked him and I just threw it out on social media. Hey, we have this money. We need this much more. And in 18 months time, we were buying an airplane. You know, people just rose to the occasion because they knew what a, an important airplane that was to the to the men and women who flew in World War II. And this museum needed one. What better museum to have that, you know, that represents the women of World War II? That's just an incredible story. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> On so many levels. I know. Right. Yeah. You got social media helping you mm -hmm. <laughs> and the son of a wasp stepping up. Now, that AT-6 also represents the last plane in the lineup for your museum, right? The last Is it completes your airplane collection? It, it does. It, it does. There's, you know, there's one more basic trainer that we could get because you know, they used one basic trainer in, 40, in 1943 and one in 1944. We just have one of them. But then we have the basic and then both of the advanced uh, planes. And so we feel pretty complete at this point. Happy. And the hangar is full. <laughs> <laughs> right. In order to get more planes, you have to get more hangars. I but. would. I, <laughs> yes, I would have to fundraise for another entire hangar.
Yeah, with your uh, ability to do an event like that, I was there in person. I just, I would have no doubt that you would do that. <laughs> Now you have the PT seventeen, right, and the PT nineteen. Um, it's we actually have the P the PT nineteen in the ah. in the building, the Stearman, not the seventeen. That's the one that we don't have here. I see. Um, right, and then we have the the BT. 13, the basic, oh, 13. 13, the Volte, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. right. and then we have, of course, the AT6, and then the UC78. UC78, okay. Yeah. That's great. And now, are the planes the WASPs' favorite, too, when they come to the museum, or when yes. they came to the museum? Yes, and I wish we'd have more planes when they came. You know, as we've gotten bigger in our ability to buy airplanes and, and get people here to bring their airplanes You know, as that has grown, of course, the number of wasps have shrunk. And I only wish that more could have been with us to see this day. You know, this is we're down to a point now where we have about 10 wasps left. And so this is turning into a, a, a memory of kind of museum, which just makes me sad. You know, it's not what I want. But they adored those airplanes. They didn't care about anything else but the airplanes. Yeah, it must have been sad to have the uh, the wasp not being able to come mm -hmm. to an event like that. Yeah, it is, and that's all our veterans, of course. It's not just the women, but you know, it's it's been a long time since that war, so it makes sense. Mm -hmm. What's the one story about the wasp that you've encountered and has stuck with you and inspired you? I think for me, it has been the fact that they were all pilots when they entered their service. You know, the men weren't, they didn't have to be pilots, but the women did. And, you know, before I learned about the WASP, I didn't even know women were flying that early. I had no idea that they started flying just nine years after the Wright brothers made their, their debut flight. And I always laugh, you know, that you, women might be behind the curve. You, you can slow a woman down, but you, You, you can't hold her down, right? She's going to go learn what she wants to learn. Mm -hmm. And I was just amazed that they learned how to fly. They took the time and the money and the risk, right? And they, mm -hmm. they wanted so much to fly professionally, but they didn't know if that, that opportunity would even be there for them. They just did it and hoped. And um, when the opportunity opened up, they were ready They had everything they needed to walk through that door. And it's just my favorite thing to tell kids because it's impacted me. You know, I think about my own personality and I've, I've, I tend to like the safe side of the street. I don't like to waste time. I, don't, I hate to waste money. And um, it's limited what I've been willing to do. And I wonder how different my life might have been if I had taken bigger risks. And I just like that they did that. And then look what they got to do. You know, it. It didn't necessarily end well for them because, of course, the program was disbanded. They weren't allowed to fly professionally after the war. But yet they have their place in history and what they did mattered. You know, even if it didn't work out great for them, it mattered. And it, it built a bridge for those women coming behind them. And um, I think we should all be bridge builders in one way or another. Oh, definitely. And they shattered the glass ceilings. Uh, and showing, you know, the new generation being included with everyone that there's no limit. Right. 
if you set your heart to it, you're going to get it done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was one story that I heard you told um, recently in an event about the B-29. Mm-hmm. Do you mind telling our audience that? That's an incredible story, Lisa. Oh, it is. It is. You know, one of the things that really set the wasp apart from the men is that, you know, the men would have been trained in one primary airplane and, and they would have flown that one airplane through the duration of the war. Occasionally, they might have been trained in a second airplane, but you know, for the most part, that's what they did. They're one airplane, which is great. And the service they did was valiant. I never want to take away from what our men did. But the women had to be ready to fly everything. When they left the pro or when they graduated from the program, they flew in all 77 aircraft. Um, so from one day to the next, you could go from one type of pursuit plane to another, one type of bomber to another. And so they were just always ready. And they lived and died by the manual because they didn't have muscle memory to rely on. So they they flew very carefully and they they did it just by the book. Well, when the B-29 was developed, you know, it came to life in 18 months. Boeing put it together and it was record time, right? The president was putting a lot of pressure. We need this kind of airplane. We've got to end this war. So Boeing came through and they did. It had some issues in the beginning. They went back, they tweaked, they fixed. But there still was one issue of, you know, it's a four engine plane and the engines, if you didn't fly it by the book, one in, you know, an engine could catch on fire. It was not that unusual. And if it caught on fire, there was protocol that you had to follow to land safely. Well, Colonel Paul Tibbetts was put in charge of this program and uh, it was a secret program and he had to recruit them in to fly it you know, put his squadron together so that they could go in and get the job done. And he was getting so much pushback from the men. They didn't want to fly it. They were very uncomfortable with how it could catch fire. And they were refusing. They called it a widow maker. And um, which blew my mind because I didn't even know you could tell a colonel you weren't going to fly an airplane, but they did. So he was at his wit's end. He knew about the WASP. And so he walked into Eglin Air Force Base unannounced. He found a wasp who happened to be sitting in the nurse's waiting room, just reading a magazine, waiting for another friend who was up in the air flying. And he walks up to her with no preamble. And he says, do you know how to fly a four engine airplane? And she said, oh, no, sir. You know, none of us do. Two engines is the most, you know, but, you know, I've got a friend that's flying right now and she's done a little more advanced flying than the rest of us, but none of us can do four engines. So he said, well, when she gets down, you come visit me. So they did. And he asked them if they'd like to, you know, train on the B-29. And they didn't hesitate. They said, yes, sir, absolutely. He, of course, left out all of the trouble that he'd been having. He just simply made an offer. And uh, he trained them. And so on day three, D.D. Dorman happens to be in the left seat. And one of the airplanes or one of the engines catches fire. And she just doesn't miss a beat. You know, she instructs the 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 technical engineer to extinguish the fire. She feathers the props. You know, everybody does what they're supposed to do. And she lands very calmly on the other three engines. And he looks at her and he says, all right, you're ready. Or y'all are ready. And they said, ready to do what, sir? And he said, well, we're going to go train the men how to fly this. And so that's what they did. They went off to their first Air Force base and the men were out on the flight line. They'd been told that a B-29 was coming in, that they were going to have some training so this big bird, right, goes through the sky, makes a gorgeous landing. 
The men are impressed. They're going out there to shake hands with the pilot and out the door steps two beautiful wasp. And you can imagine how the men were taken aback and they kind of stumble backwards a little bit. But the ladies, they spent time training them and they did this at about three different bases and um, before Paul Tibbetts commanders sent him a telegram and said, we, we think your demonstration has gone on long enough. <laughs> and sure enough, it had, there was no complaining, you know, about flying it. And, um, you know, it's just such a proud moment for the ladies because, you know, they only flew stateside. They didn't fly combat, but what, what an assist, right? <laughs> you know, right. because I mean, the U S we would have won the war eventually, but you know, it wouldn't have ended as fast without their involvement, specifically in the B-29 as well as in so many other endeavors. So it's a great moment. Yeah, I think that story has always captured me in terms of, yes, the, the WASP were courageous, but they are excellent pilots. Mm-hmm. And their ability to stay calm, you know, uh, to and to manage, like you said, what the colonel taught them, which is overcome the engine design flaw mm-hmm. by being calm and follow the instructions, right? And right. then what they turn around and teach the male pilots the same way of dealing with this risk. Mm-hmm. And that's what helped the male pilots realize, okay, this is, it's safe to fly. We can manage this, mm-hmm. right? And I love how it ends, like, you know, 51 years later, a male pilot sends a letter to Dora, remember, and to tell, to thank her that, you know, thank her for the training that Dora and Didi gave them and to help the male pilots overcome this fear. Yeah. Um, I just love that story, that the confirmation or affirmation came 51 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of connections like that were made, you know, Mm -hmm. later at Oshkosh and different places when, you know, when, when the um, wasp ran into the Tuskegee airmen who, you know, the wasp always defended the Tuskegee in social circles. And those Tuskegee Mm -hmm. came and found them at Oshkosh and said, oh my word, we were stationed with you at Mather Air Force Base. You stuck up for us. You know, so there was all these connections that came later. It was just really beautiful. It's just very empowering, mm-hmm. right? And not only just for women, but also you bring out the other, like the Tuskegee uh, Airmen too. So yeah, the WASP have that magic. They do. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that in a few ways that they have inspired you in your personal life because the way you are, and we are all, you know, the way we are, but... Um, you know, what other traits and qualities have you come to learn from the wasp that inspires you? Yeah, I, I like how they took care of themselves. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they could have certainly complained and cried foul about so many things, but they never did that. And um, their goal was just to be kind and be the best pilot in the room because it's hard to argue with you, right? If you are kind and you're good at your job and mm-hmm. that's how they set to win people over, you know, we're just going to be really good pilots and we're going to serve well. And they did. Um, they just rolled with the punches and they drew boundary lines where they needed to. 
but they they towed their own line. They were just so self-reliant. They helped each other, but they didn't they didn't look for for other groups to bail them out. And I just I I like that. And maybe that's just my sense of independence. You know, that's that's the way I was raised, right? But mm-hmm. um, I really I like that about them. Confident. Mm-hmm. They're confident. They do the job that they sign up to do. Yep. Yep. They, you know, there's no entitlement. No, no. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite stories, you know, just to show you kind of how they handled things is, you know, after they'd proven that they could fly as well as the men, they were finally given uniforms. And of course, these uniforms involved pants. They flew in pants. And women really a single woman wasn't always given a hotel room. Like your clerk had a right to ask, well, why are you traveling alone? Or where's your husband? I mean, you could be denied a hotel room for any kind of reason. And uh, so these women would show up wearing pants and the clerks would say, you know, what, why are you, what business are you in? And they'd say, well, we, we fly airplanes for the military and they would be met just with complete disbelief. And they would say, that's a lie. Women don't fly. For the military, what, you know, you're making this up. And oftentimes they would deny them a room and it got so bad one night they got a room and the girls always shared because they only got a stipend. Um, so they would all pile in a room and share it because they were really trying to, you know, spread their money. And one night they'd gotten a room, they'd gone to dinner, they came back, they flipped on the light and a sheriff was sitting on the bed and just saying, we don't need your kind in town. We don't know what you're really up to. But obviously, you're liars and, you know, loose women who wear pants, basically, you know, so they had to pack up and leave. And so they said, what are we going to do? Like, we, we can't keep going on like this, uh, across, you know, on these cross country trips. And so this is the plan they devised. The next time they went to get a hotel room and the clerk says, who are you? What are you doing here? They said, oh, we're elevator operators. <laughs> and the guy bought it. That made sense to him. Like it's wartime. Women are doing a lot of men's jobs. I can see a woman being an elevator operator. Cool. Here's your room. They're so clever. You know, they're so didn't resourceful. Go, <laughs> complaining. They didn't go to their commander and say, what are you going to do about this? You know, right. like, yeah, they just, they went, huh. Okay. Let's just make up a plausible story and move on. Their egos weren't wrapped up in it. Right. They roll with the punches mm-hmm. and just kind of get the job done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great. I love that. I yeah. Do too. I do too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What's the one thing you want people to walk away with during their visit at the museum? Um, I want them to walk away with a couple of things. I mean, first of all, that, you know, dig down deep and find something you care about. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go, go set history for someone else, or if there's something that you really want to do with your life, but you're afraid, work through those barriers, right? The WASP had to overcome, you know, technological barriers, social barriers, and their own personal barriers, just like everyone else. Like time has not changed that. We're so, we're so humans. And um, so walk away and go, what's stopping me from doing what I really want to do in this life? And work through those barriers and, and go fix it, you know, um, and go do it. So I want them to walk away with that. And I also want them to walk away with a sense of pride in something that our country did. 
The threat of World War II was real and our country banded together to save the world from tyranny. And what they did mattered. And we need to be brave and ready to step in if we ever need to do something like that again. Yeah, it's definitely um, good values that for every generation mm-hmm. to carry on that spirit. Yes. Right? How do you think the WASP program impacted the role women play in military today? It impacted it in that they didn't have, that the women today didn't have to prove that they could fly military aircraft. You know, mm-hmm. that had already been proven. You know, that mm-hmm. second generation that came in the 70s, they had to prove that they could coexist as official military members. And that was a whole other level, you know, of controversy. But in terms of proving that women could fly just, just as well as men, that had been done. You know, 35 years earlier, it had been done. And um, so that was one last thing that the women in the 70s had to prove. They had an example. They did. And then with, you know, with the mentoring, you know, when they would get together and, you know, I haven't heard all the stories because really the, the walls were pretty private. And um, I know there's some there's some big stories underneath there um, that they won't necessarily spill. But but they get together with those other female pilots and they'll you know, they'll they'll talk about how they handle discrimination or or men who just wanted to run them down. And they'll they'll talk about the difficulties of, oh, like you know, flying cross country and not having a way to go to the bathroom, <laughs> you know, because those mm-hmm. are and clothes that don't fit because even in the military today, women are dealing with clothes that really don't fit too well. So, you know, they had someone to mentor them through all of that. Yeah. They needed it too. Yeah. They really did. It's the role model. It's the role model. You know, they have been through that, mm-hmm. all of it and more yeah. actually. Yeah. It's so what, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's comforting because every generation, when you go through, and I'm sure that that after one set of barriers have been worked through, there's another level of barriers. Right. You know, so having a role model that has gone through and shattered the glass ceilings to guide them along, to give them words of wisdom. Yes. Right. And that's encouragement. That's great. Yeah. You have, you have fighting uh, fighter pilots on the board right now, too, Lisa, right? We do. We actually have an active duty pilot, which has been fun. Um, And then we have several that are retired. uh, And then one that is retired from the Air Force, but she still um, she still flies for United. So that's it's been fun to have their involvement. You mentioned a little bit about the WASP uniform, the Santiago blue. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I love that story. Yeah, it's a great story. You know, when it's, when the program started, the women just had um, surplus men's flight suits in size 44 long. That was it. And um, so, you know, think about it. That fits a man who's about 6'3", 230 pounds. That's who it was made for. Mm-hmm. And so they have little women coming in. Some of them weren't so little, but most of them, you know, around that five three to five, five range, you know, a mm-hmm. hundred and something pounds wet and they're being given these suits. And so they, of course they're making lemonade right out of those lemons and they, they roll them up and they belt them in and they cinch them up. And 
they do what they can to, to look neat and presentable. But yes, after they'd proven uh, that their passing rate was as good as the men's, they were approved for a, an official uniform. And Jackie Cochran, their commander, was told, you know, go make something in the standard, you know, khaki army color. So she, of course, legend says, you know, she said that uh, her girls, which is what the wasps were, her girls were not going to wear that ugly color. And so she went to Bergdorf Goodman and she said, um, I need two uniforms designed, one, one in the khaki or olive color. And then the other, I want to use this, this blue. I'm sure they had her choose from you know, all their blue cloth and it was the Santiago blue. And so they, they had them made. And then of course, Jackie, she was so shrewd. It was these men that were going to be making the decision. And so she hired two models, a very average looking model. And she put that lady in the, that olive color. And then she got a, a really beautiful, you know, model and she put her in the blue and sent them both down the runway. And, you know, it was a no brainer for those guys. They, they picked the beautiful woman in the blue uniform. <laughs> and to, to our knowledge, that was the first time that the armed forces used blue. So Jackie left her mark in the military world too. Thanks to her. Yeah. It's, all, it's now all Santiago blue. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Mm -hmm. Love that story always. Yes. Fashion works, right? It does. Well, it's so, yeah, <laughs> it, it does. But, and they were so proud of those uniforms. It was really great. Well, they look so beautiful and great. Mm -hmm. So now what exciting initiatives are you working on the museum now? So we've just finished up an expansion. Um, we have two hangers on our property that we use as exhibit galleries. And um, one of them is a historic hangar. It was built in 1928 and it served as the first airport for the city of Sweetwater. And, you know, partly it was why Sweetwater was chosen as the location for the WASP because it had a state-of-the-art uh, field, Army Air Corps base. And then it had a working airport, which, you know, not, not every town did. And it had regular flights in and out. So when the museum started, the city, uh, let us buy it for a dollar. <laughs> and that's where the museum started. And then we built a replica hangar on the same property and moved, you know, climate controlled. And so, you know, we, we made new exhibits and moved into that hangar. But this historic hangar is where our airplanes are. And, and we just finished fabricating all new exhibits for this historic hangar. And so it's, it's just a lot of fun because it's very much in the look and the feel of the day. You know, it's, it's the army green with red and it's got, you know, beautiful displays around the perimeter and then for the airplanes. And we have a, a replica bay, which is the head, you know, the living quarters for the wasp. And so you, you walk over there and, and a, a hologram starts talking to you. Hey, I didn't see you there. You know, she tells you about what it's like to train and to live on Avenger Field. So it's just, it's been fun. We debuted it a couple of weeks ago. It's been beautiful. So that's good. And then we're going to continue with our expansion. We're going to be doing a lot of outdoor exhibits in our plaza and then eventually moving into the other hangar. So we have about three more years of expansion. And, you know, the reason we're doing this, we have the information. I mean, we have it all today. And if you come, you're going to learn 
everything you wanted to know about the wasp and more. But, um, you know, like I said at the beginning, we want this to be, you know, friendly for the, the youngest generation, but we also want it to be the highest quality that we can offer these women. Because, you know, I think about all the other World War II museums that focus on our men and our men deserve to be honored like that. I never want to take away from that, but our women do too. And, you know, I don't want their museum to be a hand-me-down. I want them to have a first-class jewel box museum. And so that's what we're working to create. And we're proud of what we have today and we're going to elevate it. And, you know, in three years time, I think it's, it's going to be right there with anybody else's museum. That's why I love your team. Yeah. And it just, you know, you have done, you have put in so much work and passion into preserving the WASP legacy. And then you're adding to it too and elevating it, like you said. I can't wait to come to see what you have done. Yeah. It's been launched already, right? It has been. It has been. So, uh, mm -hmm. yes, I, I hope you will come. The only drawback is, you know, at our homecoming event, that hanger, because it, it's also a working hanger. So that hanger is going to be kind of taken apart, you know, because the planes will be out on the field. And so it won't look like a museum that day. I mean, you know, the other hanger will, but um, the historic hanger, it gets used, you know, for a lot of different activities over that weekend. So you'll have to come during a different time too. Yeah, I'll stay longer. I'll stay for a week. There we go. <laughs> you have to stay with me. Yeah, I love that. I've heard about the NBC pilot. Yes. About Avenger Field. Uh, do you, can you talk about it? There, unfortunately, there's not a lot to say right now. I think that the actor's strike and the writer's strike. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, I think it put a pretty big dent in it. And mm -hmm. I think behind the scenes, there's probably a lot more going on than anyone knows or understands. Uh, but I think there's probably some regrouping going on. Um, you know, we want to see it happen so much. I, you know, if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, oh yes, I, I see that movie on repeat. It's just one of mm -hmm. my favorites. And I so much want to see something like that for the Wasp. And I hope that it'll be out there soon. But right now, there's just not a lot to say. That's right, because there was a writer's strike and now the actors, too. Right. The writers, so, yeah. The writers, the writers is done. over. Right. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. so hopefully soon we'll get some updates from you. Yes, when there are updates to be told and had, I'd gladly bring that forward. Yeah. Now, a fun question. We're channeling Dr. Brown back to the future. We've got a time machine ready to send a 12-year-old girl back to the WASP days, and that would be you. <laughs> <laughs> what moment would you pick and why? I would probably... Hmm... Which one would I pick? I, I know it would be during service, you know, because that's where the action is. And 12-year-old me always wanted to be right where the action is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, it, it may very well have been that moment when uh, the Colonel Tibbetts walked in and, and grabbed those two wasps. It, it could have been that moment. Um, but I would want to see them in, in action, you know, and just see mm -hmm. how they responded to this constant changing environment and you know it would just be fun to like I think about Nell Bright who's still with us and she flew the B-25 uh, and she just had a lot of 
adventurous, you know, serious adventures and humorous adventures where, where they made mistakes and, you know, to, to be able to be in the cargo <laughs> and, uh, and just fly with her and watch what she does. You know, she was one of the ones that stood up for the Tuskegee when, when they weren't allowed to eat in the, in the officer's yeah. mess, even though they were officers, you know, they, they were down with the enlisted men and she stood up and said, um, this isn't right. They need to eat with the officers. And then when they were brought in to eat with the officers, um, all the wasps sat with the Tuskegee, angering the white men, as you can well imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so just to follow Nell around and see what she did with her life, I think it would have been so fascinating. And she went on to be the first female stockbroker in Arizona, the first female to own her own brokerage firm, and one of the first two women on the New York Stock Exchange floor. So that was her whole life, you know, just a first. Love that. A woman who can stand up for herself and others. Yes. Right. 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 She Mm -hmm. knew what was good and right. And so, yeah, if she would have let me follow her around like a puppy dog, I probably would (laughs) have done that. (laughs) I could see that, Lisa, yeah. a young Lisa running around. Yeah. <laughs> in the field, a venture field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, like your character in Flying Phillies. <laughs> yeah, it's a little Don Springfield. Yeah. I have some final thoughts. Okay. Now, for Vanilla, mm-hmm. if you can hang out with her, this cartoon mm-hmm. character, what oh. would you say to her? Oh, goodness. Um, I would tell her to to really mind those, those boys, you know, that that come in and mess up the airplanes and cause all that trouble. And I would, I would say, now don't get caught up in all their fun. Remember, you know, that you're here to protect the girls and um, don't, don't let those boys blow you off track with their shenanigans. You know, you, you'd be the strong one. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Now you have a great job. I mean, I really love museums have a person that's my personal passion so to work in a museum it's fascinating to me so if there are young people listening and they want to follow in your footsteps what advice would you give them you, you need to be a lifelong learner you you need to understand that learning never stops uh, if you're going to work in a museum it's an ever changing landscape and uh, you you're going to have to keep up it's not you know, you can't be like, I got my degree, I did my internship, and now I can rest. Um, because it's, it's a very dynamic environment, which, which maybe sounds funny, because you're thinking about, well, you know, you're representing history, that's static, right? You're representing something it's in, that's in the past, but because you're always promoting it to the future. And you have to be a student of, um, of communication, of of art, of hospitality, you know, marketing, all those things. And so m- my big admonishment is if you are encouragement, sorry, not the other, is, you know, if you get your foot in the door at a museum, learn about all the different roles in that museum. And especially if you're in a small museum, because you cannot exist in a vacuum. There's no such thing as, well, this is my job and I don't do that over there because it takes all of us. We're in a small, with a small staff, you are all in a life raft together, right? And you're either going to make it to the other side together or, or you're going to drown together. And so it, it's important to 
to know how to do everyone's job and to be willing to step up and help. And it's very rich and rewarding. It's a lot, honestly, it's just fun when you're, when you have that, that camaraderie. Um, but yeah, just, just learn, constantly learn. That is just a great advice, you know, just to be a sponge yeah. and know that every part is connected, mm-hmm. right? And one job is one job impacts the next person's job. Yeah. So you're supporting each other yeah. as an ecosystem. Yeah. None of us have what I call like a clean job where, you know, I have well-defined borders. I mean, it, we are just one where one leaves off, one takes on, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it's kind of flowing yeah. back and forth. And uh, it's hard sometimes to even define what one person does versus another, because we are just in it to win it all the time. What's the favorite part of your job? It's interacting with people in the museum and at the mm-hmm. air shows. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when I can get out there with people and just talk about the wasp and tell the stories and see the excitement in their eyes and, and listen and receive, you know, because so many times they have even better stories than mine. You know, if they, if they've been around the wasp for a long time, you know, they end up delighting me with their stories. You know, I like talking to those legacy pilots and, and learning about their experiences. And so, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of parts of my job that are kind of nuts and bolts and, you know, there's no, you know, they're not glamorous, <laughs> but when I'm out with the people, that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, did you know about the wasp before you were, you work at the museum? Yes, but not long before that, uh, it which was just a crying shame because I have a background in teaching and I taught World War II history. And, you know, it was one of my favorite things to teach, not, not because it was war, but because of the way that the whole world came together or our country came together, right? So not just women going into factories. I mean, you had, you had kids, you had young boys going off to win missions, but then everyone at home was growing, you know, victory gardens. And you had five-year-olds that were, had metal detectors and they were trying <laughs> to find extra aluminum for the war effort, you know, and furniture factories were making war instruments and, and people were doing without cars, right? Because there was a war and I just, I like camaraderie. And so mm-hmm. I tried to teach it as holistically as I knew how. And so I knew about a lot of the extra groups, the merchant Marines and the Tuskegee and the Navajo code talkers, but nowhere in my realm of reading did the wasp come up. Not once. I mean, it's just shocking. So we moved to Sweetwater a year before I started in this job. And I saw this wasp museum and went, what is that? And I was just captivated and angry. I just thought, how? How do we not know about this? Because, I mean, they served for two years. You know, there was over a thousand of them that flew. They flew 66 million miles in two years. I mean, that was not Mm -hmm. nothing, right? Mm -hmm. They did every stateside job, every single one of them. And we can't put them in a history book? That just does not Mm -hmm. compute. And I know World War II history is vast. And, you know, as a teacher, I already taught on it a good four weeks back in the day. They don't do that anymore. But back in the day, that's what I did. And so I know you can't contain all the elements of World War II, but it, to me, it seems like this one was important enough to get included. That's why your job is so impactful. 
yeah. and so meaningful. Yeah. You know, it's like it's meant to be for you to do. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been mm -hmm. wonderful to be able to, uh, you know, to teach about it. Cause uh, you know, I'll always be a teacher at heart and that, and that, you know, when you ask me my favorite parts of the job, I mean, really it is that even if I'm talking or interacting, it's the teaching that I just mm -hmm. really enjoy. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. Now, if someone wants to donate to the museum, how do they go about it? Oh, it's easy. <laughs> the <laughs> easiest way is to go to waspmuseum.org. And uh, we have a donation page. I think you can just do waspmuseum.org backslash donation. But we do have a page. And, you know, you can just give to the general fund. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also specifics. You know, some people like to give specifically for the care of the aircraft or uh, for education. Um, and, you know, we will we will do that. If you donate for something specific, like, you know, like the people that donated for the T6 and that we put a fence around that money and that's what we'll do with it. And you can call. Um, we're always happy to do that or, you know, go really old sure. and write a check. PayPal, write a check <laughs> in every form. But don't yeah. you love it if someone was like, hey, I'd like to give you money to buy a plane? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Love it. Yep. So hopefully you get some groundswell supports. I hope so. Yeah. I appreciate you yeah. bringing that up. It does. It does. Love it. Money, but um, yeah. So, and then, uh, but you know, I want everybody listening to think about putting Sweetwater on their route, right? If you're driving mm -hmm. cross country, we're off I-20 and we're a great place to stop and come in and spend a couple of hours, you know, reading and interacting and then you know get back on your way but it's worth seeing and you can grab some wonderful barbecue texas oh, yeah. barbecue along the way yeah, <laughs> i was there uh, yeah. it was worth it yeah. lisa i i loved my museum visit with you it's my first time there and uh actually i've been uh first time seeing you and as a speaker but I have been at your museum, what, three times now? Yeah, Every time I think so. I through Texas. Mm -hmm. I made a point to go there and it just to feel the energy in the venture field yeah. um, of the wasp spirit and the museum. It just, it, it brings so much. It, it, it just inspires me. Yeah. Like you it, said, you know, when you walk into that ground and you can feel the energy of these women, these spirited, courageous and intelligent women, um, excellent pilots. Yeah. You, I can learn so much just from being in that hangar. Yeah. We always say there's ghosts here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Their spirits are here. And we do have 13 wasps who have had their ashes spread on this field. So, oh, yes. Yep. In the homecoming, there yep. was one too. See, there were two last oh. year. Yeah, one on Friday and one on Saturday. And so that, that continues as well. It's been really, really amazing for sure. That's why it's so special. Well, can I um, tell one more story and brag on you a little bit? <laughs> well, absolutely. So one of my favorite tours, you know, we have school tours coming through here all the time. And, you know, we always start them off watching this really, it's like a life-size film, very dynamic. 
it and it has original footage of the wasp in there and then modern things. It's just we're really proud of that. So we always start the kids in there and and I always ask them lots of questions about the wasp and most of the time they know very very little if anything. And this group was just like they were answering questions right and left and I looked at the teacher I said, "Wow, you've really prepared them well." And she said, "Oh yeah, I got a class set of the flying fillies and we just finished reading that." And of course, that book, Flying Phillies, is by our own Christy Wee. <laughs> so um, oh. it was just such a fun moment, you know, because your book hadn't been out that long. And she just, you know, the kids just enjoyed it so much. And, you know, that's why historical fiction is such a great way to learn because, you know, you, you get brought in softly because there's this great narrative wrapped around the facts. And then it makes you stop and think, okay, well, what, what are more facts? you know, what can I do? So. Well, that just brightens my day, Lisa. Yeah. It's fun. But I have to add to it that the background of that is that I reached out to you asking for supports. And when you said, yes, I will, you know, I will provide you with the photos. And that transformed my decade-long manuscript on the shelf to a book on the shelf. So you had that powered and you empowered me. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, you're <laughs> welcome. It's a it's a fabulous book. And you know, I've got little grand boys and um I can't wait. You know, they need to get a couple of years older, but I, they're gonna we're gonna be hanging out on the couch. You know, in the next couple of years, we're going to read that book. And I always thought it'd be fun if you wrote it from a, a little boy's person, an adolescent boy's perspective, you know, of what are all these women doing invading Sweetwater? <laughs> that's, that's an you angle know, for your next book. <laughs> yes. Yes. Book two, book three, hopefully. Yeah. But, uh, thank you for sharing that uh, last story, Lisa. I'm always grateful to you for your support. Oh, our pleasure. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the stories. It's so yeah empowering to talk to you, Lisa. Thank, thank you. you. I feel the same way about you. Thank you. <laughs> you take care, okay? Thank okay, you thanks. So much. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Adventures in the Sky podcast. To all of you dreamers and doers, believe in your dreams. For when you dream and do, the sky's the limit. Until our next story, unlock your extraordinary within and live inspired. To join the Flying Phillies Adventure Club, visit www.flyingphillies.com.